thank everybody for coming. It's a Sunday. Sunday satsang in Berkeley. Uh, we'll, we'll start just by uh, chanting Om. Do you have any background in yoga at all? Mm, no? no? Okay. <laughs> That's okay. You know, the most important background in yoga is to have a heart. <laughs> yeah. I've done yoga once. No, real yoga. Okay. I'm not talking about bend and stretch. <laughs> yoga means uh, the method of communion between uh, the human and the divine. In America, yoga means bend and stretch. That's sort of baboon yoga. So we'll, ch- we'll chant Om uh, three times. Um, take a deep breath in. Some of you are new. You you should always be clear. Like we're we're here to study yoga. We're here to study dharma. One of the best and easiest uh, approaches to understanding yoga is just by reading the Bhagavad Gita. That's a that's a discussion between a, a Krishna, which is an avatar, meaning God manifest, and his great disciple, Arjuna. Um, uh, and you, you have to read multiple Gitas. No, no one commentary can hold it. The, the, the knowledge of the Gita is endless, endless. So you read multiple, multiple, multiple copies. Um, and and even, even having read multiple copies, you're still just scratching the surface. It's, it's truly an oceanic uh, study, an uh, oceanic understanding. When these, uh, when these sciences and uh, philosophies move from culture to culture, um, sometimes there's a major downgrade. When, when the Sanatana Dharma came to America, it came with a, a true voice, you know, with, with true saints and masters. But uh, the cultural understanding in America is exceptionally minimal. So you have to understand, when a real Dharma teacher says yoga, and then in America when people say yoga, there's often a vast difference because it's been uh, deeply, deeply truncated in this, in this culture. 
but the Dharma teachers are here to, to try to, to give a, a clear and accurate understanding of what real yoga is. See, real yoga is true communion, uh, true wholeness. See, um, and there's many, many means of of moving towards that wholeness, moving towards that communion. So there's many methods within yoga. See. But yoga refers to that joining of the finite to the infinite, man to its maker, you know, the common to the sacred. So that, that's when, a, when yoga teachers, when Dharma teachers speak of that, yoga, that's what they're referring to. Okay. Who can tell me today's topic? Today's topic. <laughs> Leaving a garden behind? Leaving a garden behind, right. <laughs> yeah. You should always know the topic, that way you can have some, some pre-thought um, so that there can be a, a deeper inquiry. You know, when, when you have the opportunity to, to be with Dharma teachers, <coughs> prepare as much as possible. Because the teachers here today, you don't know if they're here tomorrow, <laughs> you know. So you, you want to, uh, to get as much value out of it as possible, uh, out of your interaction as, as possible. You know, it sort of takes the opportunity while it's present, you know. Nothing in this world is permanent. <laughs> Everything is, is just sort of different gradations of wind flowing through nature you know so all of you as people i as a human being we're, we're just the wind blowing through nature you know it picks up a little dust and then we call it hari charan <laughs> not a little dust and we call it michael or somebody else <laughs> and then when the wind ends the dust falls to the earth <laughs> where's hari charan now <laughs> see so but um, there is an there is an essential you that uh, persists uh, beyond nature. But most of what you call yourself is purely nature. You know, whether it's your body or your emotions or your thoughts or your personality, that all exists within nature. The real you is is solar, and that exists beyond nature. See. It's it's the eternal it's the eternal factor. Everything else, wind, <laughs> it's coming and it's going. So don't get too attached. You know? so all your property and your name and your money and your friends, coming and going. See, don't get too attached. Treat it kindly. Treat it lovingly, but don't get too attached. Yeah. It's not going to be with you that long. <laughs> so in this topic of uh, leaving a garden behind, that goes to um, asking deeply, deeply fundamental questions about your life. And those fundamental questions becoming become uh, a guide 
to and in your life. We all want some type of purpose, uh, some type of meaning uh, in, in life. Um, all this activity that we go through, we don't want it to be for nothing, you know, or to be just a, a cumulative headache. You know, we, we want some kind of positive meaning. You know, that's why everyone's running around seeking love. You know, they, it's the, they, they feel that there's meaning. So, at the root of this, you have to just lean back and, and think deeply about what you desire to be the, the purpose of your life. See? If, if you don't ask that question, what is the purpose of my life, or what is my life, what, what is the, what is, what can my life be involved in that has the greatest meaning. If you don't ask that question, you're not going to answer that question. <laughs> if you don't answer that question, where is your direction in life? See? If you're adrift in an ocean and your hand is not on the rudder, where are you going? <laughs> See? Unfortunately, most people are adrift in an ocean and they're napping. <laughs> so the, their life is, a, is sort of a rolling calamity. We all have opposition and we all have struggle in life. But if you've chosen to live a purposeful life, you also have a purposeful destination. But if you haven't thought about what's most meaning, meaningful in your life and how can you uh, work on that, uh, work on uh, acquiring that condition, you're what we call a dog chasing its tail. A dog, ch if you watch a dog and they're running around chasing its tail, it's really very happy but it's going absolutely nowhere. So you don't want to be a dog chasing your tail so you've lived 50, 60, 70 years and you look back on it and there's only a, a mishmash of confusion and a mishmash of ups and downs. You know, what have you accomplished that's of true significance? So you have to think like, if I was to write a poem and have it chiseled on my gravestone, as to the meaning of my life, what would the poem be? You know, would you would you have uh, a statement of significance, or would somebody just chisel in "oops" <laughs> and then your birth and your death date? <laughs> you don't want the whole your whole life to be "oops." <laughs> you know. You, you, want a, you want a poem where people stop and go, oh, what a beautiful thought, you know, what a beautiful mission. Uh, uh, that that uh, their, their mind and heart has been just lifted for a moment, see? You know, then then you, whether you've been seen or unseen, you had a significant 
and a purposeful life. See? It doesn't make a difference whether humans see the beauty in your life. It doesn't make any difference at all. The, what is significant is the beauty there. <laughs> see? So there's, the, the earth is filled with many, many beautiful gems. Whether humans see it or not, it's not important. It's important that they're there. See? God sees the gem. See? That's what's important. And whether humans see it, not so important. If your life becomes this type of meaningful poem, you're broadcasting that energy physically, emotionally, psychically. You're having a deep and positive effect in the world. Whether people see it or not, the effect will be there. See? People don't have to see it. The effect will be there. See? So we have to we have to pause and and say what is the most meaningful action I can participate in life? And then get about generating that, that energy. You, you may be doing 10,000 different activities in life. You have families and you have loved ones and you have occupations and you have the ups and downs of life, which is common to everyone. But beneath all of that, what is motivating you to pass through this world? See? Are you passing through with uh, in, in just a state of fog? Or, you, or do, you, do, you, do you carry a, a constant compass you know, in your mind, in your heart, to keep you going in a set and positive direction? So when we talk about leaving a garden, we're, we're talking about having a life of, of persistent meaning. So even on a physical level, if I create a beautiful flower garden and then I go off to some other country, anyone who stumbles upon that flower garden is going to be enriched, whether I'm present or not. So we're thinking about a type of spiritual legacy or a purposeful leg legacy that, that we leave in the world. There's an infinite amount of ways to do it. The, the very first way is to, is to be very clear in your mind, your objective. Without an objective, you, you are in trouble. You're, you're just being blown by the winds of karma. You know, you're constantly re reacting to life as opposed to responding to life. See? If you're out on the sea, you have a compass and you have a rudder, you're constantly, you, you, you have all the vicissitudes of nature coming at you, but you're constantly making course corrections, um, checking your compass so that you are, you're going to a destination. Yeah. Although you, you might have to make you know, 10,000 adjustments. No problem. You make the 10,000 adjustments, but you're still on, on mark. You're still on track. You, know, you still will reach your destination.
So we have to have that quiet uh, uh, in our heart understanding of what what motivates us in life. See, you have to ask the, these kind of fundamental questions of what is the primary motivation of my heart? What is the primary motivation of my actions? That's huge. Just stop and start asking yourself, what is the primary motivation of my actions? See? See? We're all busy acting out in life. We're all busy generating a drama in life. We must understand what's motivating that. So if you stop and observe people in the world and say, what is motivating their their actions a huge amount of humanity is motivated by fear that's the a primary motivation many many people or frustration tremendous motivation exceptionally unfortunate motivation but exceptionally common as opposed to a person who says you know, I want to bring more love into the world. I want to bring more compassion into the world. I want to bring more humanity into the world. And then their actions are based on being more loving, uh, more kind, more compassionate. It becomes a, a principal motivating factor in their life. See? If you want to get an example of that, Mahatma Gandhi is a very clear and easy example that his, his motivating principle was ahimsa, nonviolence, in the broadest sense of the word. And when you say ahimsa, you have to think exceptionally broad. You know, what does it mean to have a nonviolent heart, nonviolent action, nonviolent thought, <laughs> nonviolent life? You know, think of it in the broadest sense of the word. means lack of violence, lack of discord. <laughs> Can you imagine? So you look at the various uh, saints and say, what was the motivating factor in their life? So a Gautama Buddha, you know, wisdom, you know, Sri Krishna, wisdom, love, Jesus, love, see? The, the great motivating factors that, that guided all the other 10,000 actions or infinite actions that they were involved in, see? But if, if you're unconscious of what is motivating your actions, how can you possibly make a course correction, you see? If you don't realize, oh my God, all of my actions are based on fear, all my actions are based on insecurity, all my actions are based on you know, frustration, can you see the life that you're living unconsciously? And that without having a reflection upon that as a motivating factor, how is it possible for you to change it? How is it possible for you to get to a better condition? See? So if you, you choose um, a more altruistic path, then it becomes this uh, skillful interaction with life a type of cosmic game where you're saying, you know, how can I bring this, this uh, 
more compassionate energy into the world. And there'll, there'll be 10,000 oppositions, which means 10,000 riddles. And then you, ha you solve 10,000 riddles saying, well, how, you know, whether, you're, whether it's ahimsa or love or acts or, or wisdom or kindness, you know, how can, I, how can I bring that energy to this new circumstance? So your mind is always working in a very, very positive way um, to say, how can I bring this very positive energy to this new situation or to this new interaction? So it becomes, it becomes an organizing principle. See? You know, when you finally figure out something very positive to motivate your life, it becomes an organizing principle just like Gandhi used ahimsa as an organizing principle. That's, that's a, a very easy, relatively contemporary example to, to understand. We're not always clear in our minds. We're, you know, nobody tells us or teaches us to ask such fundamental questions and, and also to ask such fundamental questions early in life. That's why you know studying a work like the Bhagavad Gita is so important, um, because uh, the Gita takes place on a battlefield, which means there's all types of confusion, all types of oppositional forces, all kinds of positive forces also, but they're all intermixed, and Arjuna is confused. And Arjuna's mentor is Sri Krishna, you know, that, that sanctity incarnate. So Arjuna, in all 18 chapters, is asking questions and, and, and demonstrating uh, his insight, his fears, and his weaknesses. And throughout the Gita, Sri Krishna is, is showing him how to move towards wholeness. See? That's why studying the Gita is, is so fundamental to the uh, study of Dharma. It's not the only Dharmic text, but it is, a, it is one of those grand central texts that without proper study of the Gita, you're really at a great deficit. <laughs> you know, it, it's just a great loss because so much wisdom has gone into that text that you know you spend your entire lifetime mining that text you're you're always always learning i've been re studying the gita over 40 years and i it i still consider it a breathtaking text <laughs> and every time i read it i'm shocked at how did i miss that point <laughs> It's, it's always, it's always uh, giving something. It's always showing an insight. It's, it's always uh, new. See? So as, as I, as a common human being, grow and then reread it, I see something I didn't see before because I'm not standing in the same place. You know? But it's always enlightening. It's always uh, expanding. So, you know, take the time to, to, to read these great, great texts and read many, many copies. If you, if you were to 
to mine this little house, you'd probably find 30 or 40 commentaries on the Gita in this house. <laughs> you know? And each of them is, is uh, just a bit of the knowledge. It's not the full knowledge, it's just a bit of the knowledge. So we have to get this perspective of, of, of creating a garden in life. I mean, you don't have to have that perspective, but if you don't acquire that perspective, the, the amount of sorrow that you will engorge yourself with is really tremendous. And as human beings, we don't like sorrow. It's, 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 you know, it's something that we generally try to avoid. So the, the Dharma teachers are here to, to, to tell you methods in a healthy, holistic way of not having this unnecessary, enormous suffering. See? So if you, if you look at your heart and you look at your life as a garden, it, it, it provides a perspective on how to live. You know, every garden has its share of weeds and every garden has its share of, of insects. So we have to understand that there's a certain amount of, of plucking of things that are unnecessary and things that are destructive in our life. Just don't get down on yourself, just be honest that this is a non-productive habit or a non-productive feeling or a non-productive thought and learn how to lovingly, gently remove it, you know, not with unnecessary anxiety or hostility, but just say this is not productive, this is, this is not productive for the garden, you know, this is not productive to share in humanity. And you choose what you have determined as what is productive, and then you actively cultivate it. See? So most gardens, there's a multiplicity of, of flowers and, and shrubs and grasses that you may use, and every garden is a little bit different. So each person is, is sort of you're creating your own unique creation, your own offering, sort of your own personal love offering to life. See? That's an incredibly noble way to live. It's, it's, an, it's an incredibly positive project. You're going to live and die. Get real about that. Who cares how many cars you had, how many houses you had, how much money you had? Who cares? <coughs> At the end of the day, does that mean anything? As, as opposed to the impact that you can have as to much, how much love, how much kindness, how much beauty have you brought into the world? See? If you look at the... Uh, the great poets, the great musicians, the great artists, you know, hundreds and hundreds, sometimes thousands of years later, people are still like, oh my God, that's beautiful. Oh my God, that's beautiful. It, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. 
as opposed to the person who has the great mansion and the fleet of cars and the big big bank accounts does anybody remember or care not at all who cares how big a house this fellow lived in it's meaningless the guy's just dust now but if you you know a, a Beethoven or a Mozart or a great poet or musician people still care it still has meaning it, it's it's still expanding see we can all be you know Mozart's and great poets in our heart you know, we can all be like the great Rumi who's still deeply inspiring people to this day with, with just breathtaking poetry, breathtaking, you know, still illumining people's minds and hearts. So in our own way, our own private and individual way, we, we can have that type of effect. But we, we have to be truly purposeful. We, we have to choose to create a garden. See? It's not random. We, we must choose. It has to be a decision we make. You know? And again, it's not whether people see it. If, if you've made that determination, if you've had that action in life, there is an effect, known or unknown, seen or unseen. The effect is there. That, that noble thought, that noble intention of the heart is like a radio wave that presses out into humanity and knowingly or unknowingly lifts the body of humanity. So the Sangha is, is meaning the spiritual group is, is a community of people who are trying to raise their collective and individual vibrations so as to offer it to life, see? To offer it uh, something beautiful to life, see? As a group and as, as individuals. But that happens only when you really make up your mind that that's what you want to do, you know? Most of us in our early days, sort of joyfully reckless. I know certainly I was <laughs> joyfully reckless. <laughs> Until I leaned back and started to think about it a little bit <laughs> and say, was that really useful? Was that really purposeful? What really came out of those actions? See? Often the actions were a joyful, tumbling disaster. And then I stopped and reflected and said, mm, maybe not, maybe I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> See? So again, don't get down on yourselves. The air is human. You know, mischief is part of the human condition, but also wisdom is part of the human condition. And it, it's just a question of how deeply you're looking. The less you're looking, the more mischief. The deeper you look, the more wisdom. So that the... the the Dharma teacher's whole profession is to get people to slow down and look deeply. See, look deeply. So that they have a meaningful, purposeful 
beautiful life, no matter what the difficulties are. Difficulties are part of the life. That you, you're not going to get away from that. But in spite of the difficulties, what did you do? You see, in spite of the difficulties, how much beauty did you generate? See, in spite of the difficulties, did you sing a song of liberation? See. So the yogis, the dharma teachers, all these different fellows and ladies, are are here to uh, to be your persistent reminder. The world is a mahamai, meaning a, a great illusion, with all kinds of scintillating activities to draw us to this activity or to that activity. But most of the activities have little to no significant meaning. See? We are a solar being, an embodied solar being. We are infinitely significant. But if we live just through our personality, just through our ego, we become unfortunately insignificant. It's sort of like the greatest majesty of the greatest king of wisdom wearing the robes of a pauper. That's the human condition where there's unimaginable majesty, sublime beauty within us, and we're running around doing insignificant things wearing rags. It's really, really, really unfortunate. <laughs> it's deeply unfortunate. Yeah. We want to turn that around. We, 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 we want you to just put your personality slash ego on pause and look deeply in yourself. And when you look deeply in yourself, you enter into the process of revelation. And in that process of revelation, you start to see your truer self. Or eventually, you'll see your true self. Before that, we live uh, assuming the mask is the reality, the mask of personality, the mask of ego. We assume that's who we are. The teacher is here to tell you that that's a mask. It's not really you. You know, it's not you. It's just a very dynamic mask. And it's only when you can enter profound prayer, profound mantra, profound meditation, do you enter that process of profound revelation, that profound self-knowledge. And in that self-knowledge, there is only that desire to bring the highest beauty, the highest sanctity into this, into this world that we, we live in. See? The, the flower only wants it to show its beauty. That, that's its nature. See? Right now, we have a nature that's like shattered glass. See? It's shattered. Mm -hmm. Lots of shards. The solar nature is not like that at all. 
there, it is an infinite sea of unimaginable beauty and oneness. See? But we, we have to find our way home. We're all lost. So by this practice of profound prayer and mantra and meditation, we can sing the song of the soul, see? The song of our true self. And in that way, in our wake, in our passing through this world, there's a persistent garden that's left, see? But you must choose this. You can choose to live a reckless life. That's okay. You can do that. Not a problem. Difficult, but not a problem. Or you can choose to leave a garden. Anyone that uh, chooses to hang around the Dharma teachers and the yogis and such are, are, cons are consciously choosing to leave a, to, to, uh, leave a garden behind and to acquire some deeper self-knowledge. You know, if we were all to sit here in, in quiet meditation, there would also be a quiet yet deeply significant communion. And in that communion, there's no conflict. But the moment we leave that communion, this person's thinking this way, this person's thinking that way, this person's thinking this way, and feeling this way, this person's feeling that way. <laughs> the communion is lost. You know? For the uh, Dharma teachers, we're constantly trying to develop that persistent habit of deep, deep remembrance. So that we're constantly working on deep, deep communion all the time. That's all of us as a group and all, as individuals must learn to work on that kind of communion. And in that communion, there's less conflict. The deeper the communion, the less the conflict. <laughs> the perfect communion, zero conflict. <laughs> See? Then the whole world is something glorious, something beautiful. Each, each of us has the ability to affect the world. You know, we can see utter chaos in the world, and violence and all kinds of mischief going on. It's caused by lack of self-knowledge, lack of communion. So can you see, by you sitting in prayer, sitting in mantra, sitting in meditation, entering into communion, how you're trying to tip the balance the more people who have greater self-knowledge are putting that energy into the world and the people who are not working on any kind of self-knowledge are tipping the world towards chaos, see, lack of harmony, lack of communion. See? So what you do is deeply significant to the ecology of the world. See? You know, either you're creating chaos or you're creating harmony. Either you're working towards chaos or working towards harmony. See? You, you have to understand. You have to make a choice, a conscious choice, of, of the quality of energy you want to deposit in this world. See? If we look out at the world, we see a lot of unfortunate mischief. It means more of us have to stand up 
and live a purposeful life. Uh, stand up and say, my life is going to be a beautiful poem. Not an easy poem, but a beautiful poem. See? We're going to, we're going to generate more and more harmony. You know, we're going to sing a song in life as opposed to going through life wailing with tears. See? If you're saying, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, that's a very unfortunate situation that you've put yourself in. You know, why don't you say you're a glorious child of God and do something beautiful? See? Have unfortunate things happen? Sure. But show me a human being that, that something unfortunate hasn't happened to. See, this is a reality check. Unfortunateness is part of this world. <laughs> you know, being born here is unfortunate. <laughs> you could have been born in the heaven. <laughs> so you have to understand. The only, the only way to change the world is for you to make that positive contribution. You want a better world? Say more prayers. You want a better world? Learn to meditate. You want a better world? Take a positive action based on a divine motivation. See? Then, then you've done your bit for the world. You, you've helped to change the scale you know, to tip the scale towards harmony, towards beauty, towards joy, you know, towards awareness as opposed to ignorance and confusion. See? But it's all, it's all based on, on you asking very, very profound questions. What is the primary motivator of your life? See? And for you to constantly ask yourself, what is motivating my actions? Is anger motivating my actions? Is fear motivating my actions? Is frustration motivating my actions? If, if, if you don't ask yourself those questions frequently, then you're living unconsciously. See? It's an unconscious life. And it's only when you're conscious can you make a course correction. <laughs> See? Maybe sometimes loving action, loving thoughts are motivating you. Other times deep frustration and fear are motivating you. But you can't, you can't regulate your life unless you're monitoring your life see, in, a, in a loving, positive way so that you can make the necessary course corrections when you go off track. See? So you, you, you gather this habit of being objective of looking at your heart objectively, of looking at your thoughts objectively, of looking at your actions objectively, and then making the appropriate course adjustments, see? So that as you move through this life, and as you get older, you, you realize how swiftly life moves, and that there is definitely a terminal date. You know, there's an expiration date on all of us that you know, how, how close to truly leaving a garden behind have you come? Or, or has there just been a series of, of wreckage behind you? We have to understand, we're the, we are the architects of our life. 
Stuff happens, of course, but we determine how we respond to the stuff that happens. Right? You're not going to get through this life unscathed, but you, you determine how you respond to this world. See? You are the architect of your character. See? The things that happen are primarily karmic. See? It means some action, some appropriate reaction in nature. So we just must be real and say, I wanted I want to be a generator of good. I want to be a generator of kindness. I want to be a generator of consciousness. See? Can you go to the mall? No problem. Can you go dancing? No problem. Can you go hiking? No problem. Do all those things. Enjoy. Don't live a dour life. Go enjoy. But behind all of that, constantly be working to generate this garden, this vibrational garden that, that, that you leave. You know, constantly working on, on a, a kinder heart, see? more purposeful action. See? If, if you take a very deep look at life, not, not to sound negative, but if you look out into the world, you, you see that so much of life has two qualities going on. One is profound ignorance, and profound ignorance <laughs> leads directly to profound suffering. So if you're not conscious, you're exercising more and more ignorance. That ignorance is going to generate more and more personal suffering. So it's in your interest to wake up. See? Wake up. Examine life really, really deeply. And if you don't know how to examine life really, really deeply, search out those souls who have and examine their work and then apply what's appropriate to your life. See? But we should just look in a non-judgmental way. We're not putting anybody down. That's not the case. But we have to take a look and say, how much ignorant generated life is going on around us? Just, just honest, innocent ignorance. You know, an unreflective existence. We have to understand we're in a sea of, of unreflective ignorance. People not thinking deeply, sort of reacting, you know, emotionally reacting, intellectually reacting, instinctually reacting, but no deep reflection on meaning and purpose and uh, 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 higher motivation. See? Hence, tremendous personal suffering, tremendous social suffering. So each in our own way, if we can become an agent of deeper consciousness, of deeper reflection, we don't have to proselytize to anybody. We just have to try to live a more reflective personal life and a more uh, 
our actions more conscious actions and to make the necessary cost corrections. So we all get upset. That happens. There's a frustration. Some, some desire has been thwarted, so there's a frustration, and then the frustration goes further, turns into an action. How do you correct that? You know, by reflecting on the saints, by reflecting on the masters, by doing mantra japa, by doing persistent prayer, by doing persistent meditation, it changes the balance. It, it neutralizes the personal frustrations. It neutralizes what would have become a, a, a habit for anger. See? So we have to choose this deep reflective life. And in that deep reflective life, remove the ignorance, which is pervasive. And in removing that ignorance, we remove the anger from life. See? And, as the, and then instead of anger, there's a, a purposeful creative beneficence that can be generated by each individual. So you're, you're not only uh, feathering your bed, you're sort of feathering the bed of humanity. <laughs> See? You know? Jesus gave a way out of suffering. Buddha gave a way out of suffering. Krishna gave a way out of suffering. The masters and the saints are giving a way out of suffering. But they're all telling you that you're suffering. <laughs> See? You're suffering based on a profound ignorance. That ignorance leads to frustration. That frustration leads to anger. But all these various masters are saying, there is a way out. See? So we enter this profound reflection. And then a profound, purposeful action. And in that profound, pur purposeful action, we're creating this garden. See? This garden for oneself and this garden for, for humanity. Hadam Krishna, Hadam Krishna. Hmm. Where's, oh, here's the baby. Mm. Yeah. See this young baby? This baby is not even a year now, and he's already coming to satsang. <laughs> <laughs> that is what's called good karma. <laughs> so people think, oh, the baby, they can't, they can't be aware of anything. Are you kidding me? Something comes from something. You know, they could have left the baby with a babysitter. That didn't happen. The baby at, you know, maybe two or three months is here at a satsang. That is caused by that baby's karma from its previous births. Otherwise, that baby would not be in the room. See? So maybe the baby doesn't understand the language at this time. But the vibration of what's occurring, the baby is absorbing like mother's milk. See? Something comes from something. See? So by you living a more purposeful, more awake life, you are creating a condition where with each successive birth, you'll come earlier and earlier 
See? Which means profound opportunity, profound spiritual opportunity. <laughs> Which means the succession of suffering, <laughs> removing that suffering and entering more and more and more light into the world, you know, ex exposing what you truly are. You're, you're a solar being having a human experience, you know, passing through a human experience. All of us think of my name is Johnny, my name is Susie, like that. That's deeply unfortunate. <laughs> Later, as you practice uh, deep meditation, um, you'll start to uh, identify with the deeper energies in yourself. My life is about profound love. My life is about profound humanity. My life is about profound light. Those, those will become the, the hallmarks of your personal character. Not my name is Johnny or my name is Susie. See, you'll, you'll realize that you're living in a, a masquerade, a, a, a drama, see? You know, was Jesus Jesus, or was Jesus the manifestation of a, of a profound love, of a profound light? We only use the word Jesus as a, as a conventional title, Jesus Christ. It's conventional. But is that what it was? Or, or was... The sublime love of God made manifest. That's what was present. <laughs> Masquerading as a human being. Same thing with Sri Krishna or Buddha or any of the great masters. See, It's a profound cosmic energy manifesting you know, as, as, as a human being. But they're not human. <laughs> they're this solar reality. See? So we have to we have to come to a place where we find our our true identity. Our true identity will be discovered through those three primary practices of prayer, mantra, and meditation. And until you can deeply invest in that, it's almost not possible for you to know what you really are. <coughs> you know, you're 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 this mag magnificent sanctity masquerading under different names see and limiting yourself to different names when really you're a profound you know unlimited magnanimous divine energy see see as long as there's limitation there'll be suffering so break the limitation you know learn the art of profound communion end your suffering and then you can help others end their suffering. Just like all these masters. They didn't come back just to hang out with humanity. They came back to limit and end the suffering of humanity. See? So by you finding yourself, by you doing these deep practices, you become one of these cosmic healers. See? Not a bad destiny. See? That is the destiny of all humans. It's a question of when you want to enter into this deep reflection so that you can have deep self-awareness. And in that deep self-awareness, that deep communion, become a true healer. See? <clears throat> Not the way people talk about healing in the conventional sense now, which is, a, again, 
an exceptionally degraded understanding. Every time someone truly meditates, tremendous healing force is being released. Tremendous healing force. Not just for that individual, but for the society, for the planet. So we, we, we have to learn to access and to seek our true, deeper self. Not to say, I am conventionally Tommy and I'm conventionally Susie. You know, who were you before you had that Tommy or Susie body? <laughs> See? Look, look, look deeply, deeply, deeply. You, know? you, you won't find a, a saint or a master that didn't do deep reflection. And, and you can look at the saints and masters as the further along the evolutionary curve than we are. See, they're just further along the evolutionary curve. If, if they deemed that deep prayer and deep meditation were important, and they're further along on the evolutionary spectrum than we are, don't you think we should get a heads up and say, you know, maybe I should copy, <laughs> you know? And then in copying, maybe some understanding will come, and then in, with understanding, some personal liberation will come, some personal communion will come, see? We have to be humble and try to learn from our betters. You know? So this is the kind of thing I just wanted to, to bring to, to your attention. Um, without living a consciously purposeful life, you're living a random life. You, on your gravestone, you don't want oops written there, <laughs> and you don't want whatever written there. You don't want that on your tombstone. <laughs> My life was whatever. Or oops. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. You guys are meaningful, substantive beings. You know, choose. You know, choose to have a, a poem of sanctity is scrawled on that. Not oops or whatever. See? But that takes reflection. And, and that takes deep observation of what is motivating my heart, what is motivating my mind, what is motivating our actions, what is the quality of my mind, what is the quality of my heart, what is the quality of my actions. If you're not asking yourself those questions, what you are inscrawling on your tombstone is, oops, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, I didn't intend that mishap, but that mishap happened. And then the whole scroll of your life is mishap, mishap, mishap. So we want, we want purposefulness. We want deep insight into what we are. Matter of fact, if I can just be very, very direct, forget about who you are. Just get over that. Ask yourself, what am I? Really go at that question, what am I? See? You'll become far less attached to what people have scrolled as your name. You know? You'll become far more attached to the energetic meaning of your life as opposed to the 
egoic scrawl of my name is so and so. Mm -hmm. You know, that really is nothing. It really is nothing. I hate to tell you that, but it's true. You you want uh, this energetic purpose where someone can say, I don't know that person's name, but I know they were wonderful. <laughs> it's the wonderful they remember. See? It's what you energetically put into the world. That that you can come across music or or tremendous poetry and not have the name labels across it, but people will say, That is wonderful. And whomever manifest that was wonderful. See? So what, how important is your name? <laughs> Think about it. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. If I called you Johnny, Susie, Margaret, who cares? Who cares? It's my experience with you that, that has meaning. <laughs> Not what you assigned your name as. It's my experience with you that I'll remember. See? So, think about the poem of your life. See? The garden you want to hopefully leave behind. You know, if you're a conscious being, you're thinking about a, a garden. You know, why do mothers invest in their children? Fathers invest in their children? Because those children are part of their physical garden. So the parent lovingly invest in them. See? It's, it's a physical garden. But there's also a garden of the heart. There's a garden of the mind. See? There's a garden of spirit. You know, the garden of action. See? We have to think about all of these things as a garden. See? And in a garden we take the appropriate positive action. We shouldn't think, oh my life is a calamity. Can you imagine how you've limited your life? <laughs> my life is a calamity. My life is sorrow. Or my life is this negative, one negative event or this series of negative events. Can you imagine how you've closed down your life? You know, you've just put more shade on your life than any thousand people could. You yourself did that to yourself. You know? So let's say your life is barren. Start planting some trees. See? Go dig a well. Whatever, whatever barren spot you have, you can make it fertile. See? You're the creator. You're the creator. Quit with the victim. Never a victim. Just be a generator. See? No matter what happens, it's some karma. No big deal. Keep going. And generate. Generate, generate, see? You, you, you will create your own ecosystem by what you choose to generate. You know, whatever happens, that's come karma. Just keep going. Keep generating your light. Don't be a victim of circumstance, see? Generate your life, see? Unfortunate, uh, unfortunate events are going to happen to everybody. Why do you think babies cry when they come out of the womb? They're going, oh my God, not again. <laughs> I'm, I'm back. <laughs> they know what they're in for. <laughs> it's not a cakewalk. <laughs> See? So, but they have another opportunity to generate, generate, generate. 
you know, find true insight into your heart. Find true insight into what consciousness is about. And spread that. See? Spread that. See? Then it's, it's a life of true meaning. And as you can generate this life of deeper and deeper meaning, when you're reborn, all of a sudden you'll be around souls of greater and greater meaning who are closer and closer to communion. Just like this baby who just came. Why is that baby in the room? You should ask yourself that question. At that age, coming to a satsang, that's extraordinary. So you don't take these things for granted. See? Some of you have come at 20 years old. Some of you have come at 30 years old. Some of you have come at 50 years old. See? This is all karma. See? That baby is maybe three months old, and it's, it's already arriving at satsang. <laughs> That's karma. See? So if, if you want the company of saints... If you want the company of sages, if you want the company of the Dharma teachers, start generating Dharma in your life. See? Start generating life in your life. Start creating gardens in your life. And then, 100%, absolutely, definitely, you're going to start meeting saints. You'll start meeting holy people. You'll start meeting mystics. See? And birth after birth, it'll start happening earlier and earlier and earlier with deeper and deeper significant per persons. Like we can look at many of our friends and can you, you ask your friend, well, how many saints have you met? How many mystics have you met? Everyone's just going to look at you with blank eyes. Like, what are you talking about, saints and mystics? And what are you, they don't have the karma yet. They haven't generated, they may be good people. I'm not saying they're not good people, but deep, reflective, positive action, they haven't generated enough of it to have that type of association. See? So it's by creating this type of a garden, this type of positive ecosystem, where over time you, you'll, you'll meet more and more mystics, more and more saints, you'll meet masters. And it'll start happening at earlier and earlier ages. See? So you're feathering your own, your own uh, bed here, your own life. So t take these actions. Um, at some time, you'll be able to come under the tutorship of masters. And then you'll actually get to personally see that there is this profound ever-living sanctity in life and that you actually become, become a participant in it. It's astounding that you can actually become a participant in, in this uh, glorious activity of God in the world. A conscious participant. Uh, if you ever even got a glimpse of that, there's no other place you want to be. <laughs> you know? And wherever you are, you simply take a breath, close your eyes, and bring your attention deeply within. And then that sanctity arises again. That experience comes again. 
you can have, when you open your eyes, you have deeper, clearer vision into the nature of this life, nature of this world, see? Not the delusion of the world, see? Not the scintillating maya of this world. You see beyond it, you see through it, you see? see? You don't get caught up in the nonsense, see? So do these actions, and from these actions, you'll have deeper and deeper communion and deeper and deeper external association with the Dharma teachers and the saints and the mystics. See? All of those are different gradations of, of deep insight. See? Of deeper personal experience in the world. So you can live numb to the world or you can live in delusion of the world or you can live in a reality of the world. See? The saints and masters are seeing the reality of the world. We're seeing delusionary theater. And those who are much less are numb to the world. So they sort of stumble through it with cruelty. See, they're numb. So we to choose, we choose. See? Don't think that you can't meet mystics. You certainly can. Don't think that you can't meet saints. You certainly can. Don't think that's not possible. That's ridiculous. It's, it's certainly possible. You know? It's certainly possible. How many of you couldn't meet a musician or an artist? You certainly can meet musicians. You certainly can meet artists. You can certainly meet, you know, uh, athletes. Of course you can. Why, why do you draw a line and, and, and think that this, you can't meet the mystics, you can't meet the saints, you can't meet the masters? You certainly can. But you have to show an interest in the craft. See? <laughs> See? If I show an interest in the craft of acting, I can probably meet actors or musicians. So the, the, the saints and the mystics, they're interested in the craft of sanctity. See? Acquire an interest in it. See? If you, if you have an honest interest in it, you certainly can meet those people. They're, they're, they're there. See? Just, just acquire an interest in that craft. You know? And it'll be a very natural outcome for you to meet such souls. See? So you're drawn to what you're interested in. See? So don't put limitations on yourselves. You know? Limitation is just ignorance and fear. See? Ignorance and fear, that's limitation. Always just say, why not? You know, why not? Why not? I think I, you know, let's go for it. Just get that kind of positive, leaning forward attitude, you know, and, and, and see what God brings to you. Say a prayer and take a step. That's my attitude. Say a prayer, take a step. <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> so don't, don't limit yourself. Any questions or ideas or thoughts on what we're talking about today? Hmm. Profound sight. Emma? How do you know when you've met a master or a saint or a mystic? Now that is a really good question. How do you know when you've met a master, a saint, or a mystic? First, you have to have some due diligence. Due diligence in that circumstance means that you're in, at least in the process 
of saying, what is my heart? What, what is the real meaning of my heart? You know, what is the purpose of my intellect? You know, what is the, the need or the facility of my physicality? You, you have to first start by some deep reflective questions, see? Because if you can't find any meaning here, how can you see any meaning there? See? You must have to find some meaning here first, or at least have a meaningful question. Because if there's no meaningful question or meaningful realization here, there's no way you can see it out there. It's not possible. So deep questioning of oneself, you know, purpose, meaning, function. And then to do more due diligence to say, who has had deeply meaningful lives? So you start going through biographies. You know, when I was a kid, I was reading biographies of you know, scientists and philosophers and physicians, psychologists and such. And then when you get through with those guys, then you say, okay, well, you know, I think the saints had more, more uh, lasting meaning. So you start studying what the saints have to say, and then you start studying what the masters have to say. So by, by you showing that level of interest and, and that level of personal inquiry, when you'll meet various people, then you'll have a frame of reference. See? And in that frame of reference, you'll start to have some means of discernment. See? But if you have no frame of reference, anybody can say anything, and you can believe anything. You know? Just because someone wears a robe doesn't mean they're a saint. You know, they could just be a, a clever person to empty your pocket. So, by looking for meaning in your heart, and then by looking for meaning in biographies, and then eventually the biographies of the great saints, then when you're looking into the world, and you're going to the various satsangs, and you're going to various events, you can say, does... D d where does this line up with my frame of reference? See? And you'll go through a series of teachers, depending on where you are. You're going to go from this level to this level to this level. Every teacher is, at, is teaching at a different level, giving knowledge to a, a different audience. And some teachers are complete thieves, complete frauds. But that's where the student is also. You know, maybe the student needs to be burned so that they get better discrimination. They realize, oh, that wasn't really <coughs> worth following. You know, so the person is building great palaces, you know, for their own grandizement of their own ego. See? And maybe you contributed to that. Maybe now you realize, oh, that wasn't worth it. That was completely useless action. As, a, as opposed to someone who's completely humble, who's collecting little funds and, and feeding children, educating children, bringing eyeglasses and medicine to kids and mothers. See, and then you realize, oh, you know, my money was more, better spent there than building some. To find the real well, that's true. The true well, that's very true. You know, make a show of it. that's true. You, you, you'll eventually, it'll come to a deep, heartfelt intuition, where you say, "Wow, what they're doing is beautiful," just like. 
you can have all kinds of music. Some kind of music is banging and chaotic. Another kind of music is, you know, Mozart or Beethoven. And you have a completely different experience. You don't know the person, Mozart or Beethoven, but you can feel the energy that they're generating. See? So ultimately, it'll come down to a, a deeper intuition, see? A deeper, a deeper knowing in, in your own heart. Do you need a napkin? Ram Krishna. Yeah. So do some due diligence, study the Gita, study the biographies of saints, study your own heart, like what is really, really, really important in your heart. And then you'll start to meet those souls. Then you take it to another level of, of metaphysics, where you, you stop and pray, you know, God, I don't know anything. I wouldn't know a saint if I tripped over him. <laughs> but can you help me see? Can you help me meet such a soul? Prayer is a big deal. You know, prayer, prayer comes when you realize that you don't have the strength yourself. You need a hand, you know. And, and heaven is really, really willing to give you a hand, you know. So with that kind of deep, heartfelt prayer, You'll slowly be led. The saints are a, commu uh, are a community. It's not a saint. It's a whole community. It's a worldwide community of beings with, who have cleaned up their heart. See? Who have revealed the essence of their heart. And then they're, they're out there acting in the world. And... I've known actually many saints in my life of which most of them you'd not know because they look like, you know, Miss Grandmother sitting over there in the corner, you know? Looks like a simple grandmother. And you'd never know. Right up until you start talking to them and, and you see the orientation of their life. You know, the, the, the profound kindness non-judgmentalness, uh, purposefulness of their life, and you start to go, <gasps> and then you start realizing this is no ordinary person. This is no ordinary person. This, you know, they're not motivated by the jealousies and the fears and the angers. They're motivated by some kind of, you know, beneficence, benevolence, you know, it's, it's, it starts taking your breath away and you, your mind starts getting shocked like this is not an ordinary human being. They're not giving the normal responses that I'm used to in the world, you know. So they're there. They're there. But they're, most saints are not walking around in robes, you know. They're sitting on their front porch reading a book or knitting, you know. But they're there. The, the, the world will always have saints, meaning the world will always have means of salvation. The world will always have means of, of abating sorrow. See? But, you, but you must make that search. You must do that due diligence. You know? And you will meet them. You know? They're, they're, they're there. An honest heart finds them. See? So how honest is your heart? You know, when have you start to, 
started to make that quest. You know, it's a divine quest. And then, you know, you, you'll be amazed. You know, the, the types of, of souls that, that you'll meet. You know, like when I first saw my master, Sadhguru Sankishavas, you know, I was standing way in the back of the room, right up against the back wall, and he was all the way in the front of it. And I was so astounded, <laughs> you know. I, I, you know, I, I remember saying to myself, this is what the Gita calls a saint. You know, my frame of reference was a scripture. And from having studied that scripture, you know, he was actually living out what the scriptures were talking about. And then I got a chance to live with him physically for three years. And, you know, sometimes I would even say to him, you're like living scripture. You know, and I lived with him night and day. It wasn't just showtime. I was there 24-7. And he was like always like that. You know, that was his disposition. So it, 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 it was like watching a rolling miracle. It really was. It was like watching a rolling miracle. It's like... It, is literally mind-blowing. It's just mind-blowing. You know, and, you know, the, the nature of the heart, but also the nature of the mysticism. You know, the, 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 the different uh, mystic powers that they have are, are there shown on a daily basis. Not as a show, but just as a, a, a function of who they are. It's, it's just there. So, and then by that kind of association and them teaching you the deep practices of prayer and mantra and meditation, then all types of mysticism starts entering into your life where you're not just a witness to it, you're actually a participant in it. So that's part of your evolutionary growth for every soul to have deep mysticism happen in their life. You know, not first to be a witness and then to be a participant. It, this is definitely a can-do thing. It's just people don't do the work. It's, it's not that it's not possible. It is. It, you just have to make the commitment to the process. And, and then everything happens. Heaven doesn't want to be a, uh, uh, a mystery. You know, Heaven doesn't want to be a mystery. It wants to be a, a constant unfolding revelation. But you have to do your part. You know, heaven's ready to dance. You got to show up. <laughs> so, most people are not showing up. They're, they're in their own delusionary process, non-reflective process. So, you know, at the end of the day, you will get what you seek. At the end of the day, if you deeply seek sanctity, if you deeply seek to, to meet mystics and masters and saints. If you deeply seek it, it'll happen. It will happen. See? Any other thoughts? Okay, sweetheart. Okay. Yes. So he's wanting to live your life on a higher spiritual level, equivalent to wanting to meet a mystic, because, um, yeah, personally, that's been an aspiration of mine, but I've, I haven't, it wasn't revealed to me that that comes from more meaning, more mystics. So Say that again, the, the second part. As a, 
I've, I've always wanted to live on a higher level, you mm. know, than just a mundane mm-hmm. existence. Mm. And really just in communion with mm. heaven or source. Mm. But it's, <coughs> I guess, I guess along the lines of my mind is, well, what I'm realizing is that comes with meeting mystics. It's important because the mystics and the saints verify the kingdom. They, 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 they can give you a living testimony. See, it, there's, there's faith which is necessary and then there's seeing it for yourself. And the, the mystics and the saints and the masters introduce you to it directly so that you can see it for yourselves. The mystics, masters, and saints remove all doubt from the mind. See? So God and, and all the glories of God become a fact as opposed to a supposition based on faith. See? See? Their job is to introduce you to the kingdom. So it's, it's a personal, intimate, direct relationship. Their job is to, is to uh, foster that relationship, you know? In the beginning, they're like a little bit intermediaries, mm. but later, the, the, their primary job is to have you have direct personal communion, See, to show you how to do it, to teach you the craft of sanctity, the craft of communion is, is their job. See, They don't want anything from you. They don't want anything from you. Uh, what they, they want, those souls want to fulfill a savor for God. So they're, they're doing a loving action for God, and that loving action for God is to help unburden you from your sorrow and to give you a means of communion so that you can have that intimate experience with, with God itself. See? But the saints and the masters inspire us to, to, to make the journey. See? That, that's important. Mm-hmm. Without the inspiration... Everything is sort of a myth, a nice myth, but eh, who's going to chase after a myth, you know? But if you meet such souls, you realize, wow, this is a reality, you know? There really are are people who have a communion, who can speak directly to whether there's a God, whether they're angels, whether they're heavens, who can speak directly to that. And not only can they speak directly to that, they can show you how to do it, (laughs) see? So it becomes this uh, wonderful, unimaginably interesting journey that you take. See? But you have to make the commitment. You have to make that kind of commitment. Any other thoughts? Ideas? Nothing? Jamie? <laughs> or Emma? What if the saint doesn't know there's one? That's not possible. That's not possible. That's not possible. <laughs> it's like if an elephant stepped on your foot, <laughs> is there any maybe? <laughs> if you have any kind of direct communion with God, there's no more maybe. <laughs> See? It's, it's as. It's as eventful as an elephant stepping on your foot. <laughs> There's no more maybe. It's just, it's just a living reality. You know, it happened. Maybe nobody else in the world saw the elephant step on your foot, but you know. 
<laughs> you know for a fact. And when you have that type of communion, there's, there's no more doubt. There's, there's no more doubt. See? Have so, you had that? Huh? Have you had that? Had what? Direct communion. I've had the great fortune of being with many uh, great saints. And I, I've had the great fortune of, of seeing what people would call many wonders of God. So there's no, in my mind, there's no doubt. You know, of, of, of such things being so. Because I've been there, I've seen that. You see? Is this a perfect soul? No. This is a struggling soul. But can I say, have I, have I witnessed sanctity? Oh, absolutely. I can say that. With no shadow in my mind. You know? See? So such things are possible. <laughs> It's, it's part of the human uh, uh, potential, see? Yeah, it, everyone can. Exactly, everyone can. It's who applies, who, who really applies to know God. Those who really apply will have those experiences. Most people don't really apply. The, the truth is most people are seeking pleasure. They're not seeking sanctity. There's a big difference, seeking sanctity and seeking pleasure. Most human beings are seeking pleasure. See? Sanctity is is a whole other, whole other reality. See? So, uh, again, you get what you want. If you want pleasure, you'll find pleasure. If you want sanctity, you'll you'll find sanctity. You get what you ultimately want. See. So the question is, what do you want? See, most people who are chasing after spirituality are not chasing after spirituality. They're not. They're chasing after some form of kumbaya pleasure. Mm -hmm. you know? it, it, they're, they're chasing after a, a delusion. See? So you get what you want, ultimately. That's why you have to have that very deep reflection. You know, with, without that deep reflection, where are you going? See? <laughs> You're going somewhere, but could become entirely random. You know? you know, most of the time we're running away from pain and sorrow. It's not that we're going anywhere. We're running away from something. And we're not particularly going anywhere. See? When you, when you choose... To, to say, I want to know what this God thing is, what, what the reality of that is. Now you're going somewhere. See? You, you've made a, a positive determination to find out for yourself. That, that positive determination is really, really important. See? Then you start making the adjustments and start doing the appropriate studies and start doing the appropriate practices and start making the appropriate commitment. See? And then, everything happens. You know. There's many saints who have come to this house. See, you're just coming now. But if you've known me for the last 20 years, I could have introduced you to many. You know? <laughs> it's not that they're not there. They're there. You know. So, but you have to, you have to prepare your heart for them. That's, that's what you must do. You must prepare. 
Just like if you have a guest coming to your house, you clean up everything. So the same thing. You know, if, if you want that type of a sanctified soul to enter your life, to enter your house, to enter your heart, just start doing the appropriate cleanup, you know? And then the, the guests can come nicely, no problem. You know? And, and they can manifest both physically or they can come mani uh, metaphysically. Both are equally the same. They're both the same. You know, just different different levels of reality. So, you know, study the Gita. It's it's such a fundamental text. It's so 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 important. You know, and then think deeply about prayer, and then find out something about mantra, and then learn proper meditation. See. Meditation means you can put aside everything aside but reality. See? Means putting everything aside but reality. See? We we all have the capacity. We just have to make the investment. See? We're all conscious, we're all standing, we're all breathing. Means we it mean we're in a can do situation. But do you make the journey? Do you make the time? Do you make the commitment? See? It's, it's a, it's a can-do. But it's up to you to clear the decks for it. To, to remove everything. Just to see clearly. See? Any questions, Susan, at all? Or Steve, back there? Not a question, but this is a really good talk, and uh, I kind of wish that maybe I... Uh, yeah, brought certain people to listen to it. Mm. <laughs> bit by bit, bring them, bring them. I'm kind of particular though, but that, that's okay. Just like you see Victor over there, he's always bringing his friends. You know, what you're doing is creating opportunities for people. Some will take it, some won't take it. But that's our job. We just the the job of a teacher is to create an opportunity you know, and as an aspirant to create an opportunity for friends. No one can force anyone to accept any of this. But what we can do is give people opportunities. See? And anytime a person comes into a genuine satsang, there's a blessing for them. See? Whether it's conscious or unconscious, there's still a blessing. God is very magnanimous at, at that. So a seed is dropped in their in their consciousness when it blooms up to them and god see some it blooms immediately some it blooms five years from now or ten years from now or next birth it's okay it's okay the the seed has been dropped so good something good will happen so so that's how it is you know so you're more than welcome to bring your friends and don't want anything from them. Just give them the opportunity, and then <laughs> then let it be. <laughs> you know, the the key of what you learn is to give and forget, give and forget, give and forget. See, don't have any expectation. Give it, forget it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> let the seed be dropped. It'll sprout when it's when the, when it's the time is right. Mm -hmm.
There's, there's far more opportunity than people really understand. But they don't understand that they actually have to do some real work. That, that chasing God is not playtime. You know, chasing God is as serious as if you're going to climb Mount Everest. Think of the, the type of, of preparation physically, emotionally, mentally that you would do to climb Mount Everest. Get that serious, and you'll have success. You know, get serious. Most people are not serious. Most people, unfortunately, in spirituality, it's still delusional playtime. See? They want some kind of, you know, kumbaya cosmic holiday. <laughs> Deeply unfortunate. But uh, it's okay. It's life. You have to accept it as it is. And then there's a few who say, I want to know. See? See, when I was a kid, in my belly, I said, I want to know. It was, it was like no joke. <laughs> I want to know. Is, is this baloney or is this real? I really, in my belly, wanted to know. See? So I, I, hopefully I've done some kind of due diligence and uh, led me to many, many, many extraordinary circumstances. So if I say something, I'm not saying something based on what I think. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I know. See? If I think something, I'll, I'll qualify and say, this is my thought on it. But if I know something, I'll just say straight, this is what I know. See? So. But it's possible for everybody. We're, we're all uh, evolving creatures. You know? But do we inch along like a worm or do we move like a, uh, a rocket ship? Entirely up to you. It depends on your level of determination. You know, evolution will move you along you know, unbelievably <laughs> slow, but you'll evolve. Or you can use your heart and mind and engage it with all of that creative capacity and move like a rocket ship. It, it is so up to you. <laughs> See? It is so up to you. It's just you have to, you have to choose God. You know, that's you have to make that choice. See, and then it, then everything happens. Everything happens. You know, you have to choose the right association. You have to choose to show up at satsangs. You know, you could be in a million different other places, but you chose to come. The the, the choosing of it is really important. You know. And then, then heaven is so unimaginably magna magnanimous wants to give you so many opportunities but we're like children playing in the backyard <laughs> you know mother says come for lunch we're still playing mother says come for lunch we're still playing mother says come to lunch we're still playing we're, we're like that <laughs> you know the mother's always preparing for you but we're playing in the backyard <laughs> so until you get hungry and then you come in. So that's all of us. When you're hungry, then you show up. <laughs> you really show up. Other than that, you're playing in the backyard. So that, that's all of our stories. It's like when I was a kid, I really, really wanted to know. In my belly, I wanted to know, is this real or is this not real? 
you know, and then you start to do the due diligence to, to, to find out. See? So that's what you're all here for. You're, you're, you're here to find out. See? And, you, and your, your, your job, as I say so many times, is to ask 10,000 questions. My job is to answer 10,000 questions. See? Then, because you can study from a book, that's one thing. Then you study from a teacher, that's another thing. And then you study from your own internal mysticism, that's another thing. See, there's different gradations of your study. See? The ultimate study is when you can learn to sit properly, pray properly, meditate properly, do japa properly. That's the ultimate experience right there. See? Then the inner mystic teaching teacher takes over. See? Before that, there's the books. Before that, there's the physical teacher. Then after then the, the living reality within you becomes the teacher. See? Any other thoughts, ideas, questions? I have more questions. Mm. <laughs> How did you get to live with your Oh, that was very simple. I used to go to all the different temples and ashrams and, you know, satsangs because I was interested. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to see, you know, what this world was about, this world of mysticism, this world of yoga was about. So, uh, so I was always going to temples and, and to ashrams and listening to uh, 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 satsangs. And I saw many, many Dharma teachers um, but uh, there's a lot of valuable Dharma teachers out there and then, then there's a situation that happens to each soul in, a, in, in the appropriate time where they come to their own master in your, in your study over multiple births You'll study with many saints. You'll study with many mystics. That, that's normal. You'll study with many philosophers. Um, then there'll come a birth or, or series of births where you actually come to what would be called your moksha master. That means the soul that God has chosen uh, to, to deliver you uh, uh, from all sorrow, uh, to, to deliver you or to, to bring you into your own liberation. Prior to that, you'll study with many saints and mystics and yogis and such, but there's always a particular soul that is sort of the final door, see, the final cosmic mystic heart that you pass through, see? And that's your moksha mantra, your, your moksha master, the master that brings you to liberation, who, who brings you along to, to, the, to pass through the final gates. So, you know, this this great soul is my moksha master. See? And they'll just take you in. Well, there's there's a there's a recognition. There's a recognition. You know, when I started serving my master, there was no real learning curve. You know, it 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 was like two parts just fitting together. You know, it it, it was it was really quite natural. And for me, quite easy. It, was, it, it wasn't a struggle. It was a lot of hard work, but it wasn't a struggle. You know, it, it just sort of always worked. You know, it was, there was always just like a natural communion. You know, it, it, 
there, there was no struggle in the relationship at all. You know, you know, I, I was just happy to be there, you know, and, uh, and I understood why I was there. You know, I, you know, my purpose for being there was all about God, you know, and I knew that this soul knew God, you know, had a, a direct personal living relationship. You know, and that, 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 that soul could teach me about that relationship. So, you know, there was no, in my case, there was no struggle. You know, it, it was like stepping into my old job. It, it, it really was like that. You know, it, it was quite easy, quite natural for me. But in this circumstance, I've been with my master multiple births. So it, it was really just me getting my job back so th that's my own unique personal case so for other people it may be quite different i don't i don't know but for me it was you know i i just knew that i was, I was back home you know and, and i knew what my job was i didn't have to learn my job i just stepped right back into my old function so it, it was a lot of fun Tremendous amount of work, but unimaginably, un, unimaginably interesting and fun. You know? What was the job? I'm a, a das, meaning you, you serve the guru. You become like a, a limb, a hand or a leg or a foot or a toe of the guru. So whatever helps to facilitate them to do their work, you're there to do it. You know, whether it's teaching a class, or serving tea, or sweeping the floor. We don't care. You know, whatever helps, whatever, whatever facilitates the master's work, we're happy to do. You know, so that, that was the job. You know, sometimes it's sweeping the floor, sometimes it's teaching a class, sometimes it's serving a cup of tea. It's all the same, we don't really care. You know, we're, we're just there, we know that they're sent by God. We know that they're doing God's work. So whatever we can do to, to help that, we're happy to do. It, it really is for us that simple. And it doesn't stop when the, when the master leaves the body. We, we still have a job to do. So we just simply continue, continue the work. The seva doesn't end. The seva means service. The divine service doesn't end. Even when this body drops away, the, body, the, the seva doesn't end. See? So, so that's my own personal case. It could be as unique as the individual. I don't know. But if you're if you sit and just say I'm going to say prayers as part of my life function, you're building a bridge to the kingdom. You know, just by if you study the prayers correctly, not just as a parrot, but to to study the prayers, realize that the prayers. Are, are the philosophy of the saints. The prayers demonstrate the worldview of the saints. The prayers demonstrate the method of the saints. So by you sort of inculcating that in your life, you're building a bridge. See? You're, you're building that uh, bridge of vibrational sanctity. And then eventually you're going to meet people who are doing the similar work, who are... Who are uh, uh, Absorbing that same type of vibration, they'll 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 become your colleagues. See, 
And then it's just a matter of time before you meet saints and, you know, mystics and Dharma teachers and yogis and, you know, eventually masters, you know. So, it, it, people have no idea of how can-do it really is if you make the investment, you know. You make the investment, it'll definitely happen. There's, there's no maybe whether it happens. It will happen. But make the investment, see. And, and forget playtime. Get over that. This is like Mount Everest. <laughs> Prepare. And then, then climb. Climb. You, you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. But there, there is a way. Why did you leave? Leave what? After three years of looking. Like... I, I never leave. I've never left. Not one second. <laughs> The, the form is just the form, you know, that doesn't mean anything. Savor is savor. You know, savor is your constant life breath. I, I, it's sort of like, um, we can't leave existence. So the master is existence. There's no leaving. There's in the beginning, for regular people, there's unknowing, and then there's knowing. <laughs> when you know, there's no leaving. When you're, un when you're in a state of unknowing, then you think that maybe this, maybe that, maybe come, maybe go. That's, that's a state of unknowing. <laughs> but when you know, there's no more leaving. <laughs> you know, there's, there's just a, a perennial relationship that, that doesn't stop. It, just, it doesn't stop. It's just always present. See? It's like, let me say in a conventional way. <clears throat> when a woman gives birth to a child, from that moment on, does she ever forget she's a mother? She never forgets she's a mother. Same thing. When you come into a relationship with a real guru, and that's your finishing guru, there's never a forgetfulness in the relationship. It's it's just not possible. It's just not. It's it's one of these relationships that it's branded into your heart and to your mind. There's no more forgetting. See, mother's always a mother. Child's always a child. Was it hard to be physically away from his house after being there for three years? No, no. I have work to do. And he's saying, get out, go work, get something done. You know, you, you, you know, it's like the, the guru fills up your personal granary. And then your job is to go distribute the grain. You know, they don't, what are they, they don't want you sitting there. <clears throat> they, they've helped to wake you up for a purpose. You know, get on the road, <laughs> you know, get out there and do something. <laughs> so... It's like the, the mother bird pushes you out of the nest. It's like that. But there's, the, there's no uh, damage or no permeability in the relationship. You know, but there is a job to do. See? You, you just... The disciple, a real disciple, not monkey disciple, a real disciple is part of the living energy of the guru. See? And, and they realize that. They realize that. 
they're part of the living energy of the guru. See? So that's, that's, that's how it is. You know, this is a mystic relationship, not a physical relationship. It's a mystic relationship. So, but uh, it, you, you acquire a, to God and guru, you acquire a perennial fidelity. It's, a, it's like a type of marriage in a way, a mystic marriage, you know. And there's, and there's no breach in the relationship under any circumstance. There's just no breach in the relationship. So, but it takes, it takes time to enter that relationship, see? It, it takes time. Um, it, it's a communion of the mystic heart. It's a communion of the mystic heart. And once, once that communion is made, that's it. It, it, it's it's indelible. It's it, it, there's, there's there's no end to that. How do you build it? There's there's no building. There's just a entering into the relationship. You know, it's like if you go into space. There's no north, south, east, or west. There's no high or low. You're in, you're in the middle of space. You know, there's no building it. You know, it's it's there's no more dimensions to it. You're in this infinite sea of communion, see? It's like if you jump in the water, you're wet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's it. There's no building wetness, there's wet. <laughs> you know, there's no gradation of wet, there's wet. <laughs> so that, I'm just explaining it in, in my own words, you know? So that, that's just what it is, you know? Once, once there is that established relationship, but it's not easy to get to that established relationship. That's what I was asking about. I mean, how do you establish? Oh, oh, oh. Well, then, then that's just the method of the method of yoga, which is deep reflection, prayer, mantra, meditation, a life of good works. That that, that just becomes what you're about. You may do a million things, but what you're really about is that deep reflection, that prayer, that mantra, that meditation, and a life of good works. That becomes the inner parameter of your life. And in that, that's the bridge of communion, that you maintain a type of communion. See? And over time, you mature through that communion until there comes the different gradations of stability. See? Where there's a, 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 over time, there'll become a non-forgetfulness, see? There'll become a non-forgetfulness of your master, and then there'll become a non-forgetfulness of, uh, of God. See? It, 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 it'll just become part of, of, of your life, you know? You, you, you just don't forget, just like a mother never forgets she's a mother. See? There's, a, a, there's a tangible relationship that's indelible. These are all really good questions, really heartfelt questions, you know. Ten thousand questions. That's my job. Ten thousand answers. You know, you're in the right place. But that, but that's it. You know, part of my thing is to to let you know this is can do, and each of you in your own time, in your own level, will sort of nibble at it, nibble at it, nibble at it. You know, and and start to take on the sadness. And with the sadness, you need someone to check to make sure you're applying the science correctly. You know, why do you go to a professor? The professor checks to make sure that you're in the correct process. 
that you're applying the formulas correctly, that you haven't added anything or subtracted anything. See? That you got the formula correctly and that you're applying it correctly. See? That's, that's why the, the Dharma teachers are just, just a, a spiritual professor. That's, that's all we are. You know? So, that, so, so you get it right. You know? <laughs> you know, and then eventually you become a colleague. You know? You know, we're, not, we're not supposed to sit above you or lord over you. That's not our job. You know? You, know, you could become a profession like any other person. <laughs> you know? We're not above you. That's ridiculous. You know? We've just, you know, we followed a, a curriculum, a curriculum of, of, of evolution and, and experience. You're following the cur curriculum also. So aren't you going to have the same, you know, ex you'll get the same uh, degree? Instead of, we don't give out paper degrees, it's degrees of consciousness, degrees of awareness. You know, we all have the same facility. You know, we're all born of God. So we all have, we can all have the same conclusion. It's just application. Who, who shows up at class? Who does the work? And who naps? And who goes and plays in the backyard? That's the only difference. See? Most people are playing in the backyard. It's not that mother's not waiting, <laughs> cooking the meals and having everything prepared. They do. They're there. What? Application. You, you have to be, to, to really go far and high, you actually have to be fierce in your application. In the beginning, it's like playtime, and then a little bit by little bit, and then more. But to get far and high, you must be fierce. Just like to climb Mount Everest takes fierce willpower, see? And fierce preparation to climb Mount Everest. God is the ultimate Mount Everest. So you have to be fierce. But it's bit by bit. You'll, you work into it, you grow into it, you prepare into it. And then it all happens. You know, but never think that you're not capable. That's ridiculous. You're totally capable. It's just, do you make the decision to take that journey? That, that is the criteria. Do you make the decision to make the journey? Will you pay the price of admission? That's what it comes down to. Not whether you're capable or not. You're certainly capable. But will you pay the price of admission? That is the real question. Pay the price, you'll see for yourself. Don't pay the price. Enjoy the world. <laughs> Your delusionary world. <laughs> Any other thoughts, ideas, questions? Okay. My attitude is always take the shot. <laughs> That's my personal attitude. Take the shot. You know, don't, don't think, oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow's a better day. You don't know if you're here tomorrow. <laughs> you don't know if the teacher's here tomorrow. <laughs> So why are you why are you gambling like that? Go go now. You know, take the shot now. In terms of due diligence, you should uh, sign up to that my Facebook thing because I put up lots of uh, information on saints there, and a lot of uh, uh, beautiful souls who have become very very high in their spirituality, uh, so that you you know who to study. I see so many people, they have no idea who to study. 
you know, just because someone is shiny or speaking very fancy or wearing robes doesn't mean they know anything. It might mean they know how to put on a good show, you know. But diamonds are rare, see? <laughs> and there's a lot of fake jewelry out there. <laughs> but, you know, learn to find the real saints, the real masters, people who are living it, who are fulfilling it. They're there. And if you look on the, the Facebook posts, I list many, many, many different saints. If they're on my posts, they're the genuine item. You know, study their work, you know, see what they're doing, read their biographies. The house is full of biographies, you know. And then, then, then you'll be pro properly informed, properly prepared for the journey. Most people fail, lack of determination, lack of good information, proper information. You know, that's why they don't get ahead. You, know, you must have correct knowledge, uh, correct method, and correct environment to be successful. The knowledge must be correct. The use of the knowledge must be correct. And the environment must be correct. Those are the three criteria that you need to be successful in this life. Correct knowledge, correct use of the knowledge, and correct environment. See? Really important. So people say, oh, I read so much, blah, 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 but they're not applying it correctly. Or I've read so much, and it's in the wrong environment. Just like if I, if I, if I have a match and a matchbox, and I take the match and a matchbox, I have everything to light a fire, but I'm striking the wrong end. So I have the correct knowledge. I have the proper information here but I'm, I'm striking the wrong end of the match. That's the incorrect application. So no fire. I take the match box and the match again, and I stick it underwater, and I start striking it. But I'm striking it on the right side now, but I'm underwater. It's not gonna light. Incorrect environment, <laughs> see? Or if I have the match box and not the match, incorrect knowledge. See, it's incomplete. No success. So you must have correct knowledge, correct application of the knowledge, and correct environment, see? So a lot of times, let's say someone learns correct knowledge and actually learns how to do the, the method correctly, but their mind is full of filth, anger, negativity. Is it gonna work? Come on, come on, get real. You, you, you have a lousy environment, it's not gonna work. So correct knowledge, correct use of the knowledge, and correct environment. All those three have to line up for the mysticism to come, see? And that's when you're with the Dharma teachers, they're just your tutors. They're, 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 they're there to help make sure all of those things are right. So if they're telling you to make this adjustment or that adjustment, they're not getting down on you. They're not criticizing you at all. They're just trying to get you in the right situation to have the mysticism come about, see? There's, there's no chastising in our business, you know? There's giving you, telling you what you need. You know, if your attitude is totally messed up, the teacher knows that you're not gonna get the results. So they're gonna tell, make these attitudinal adjustments, do these particular practices, see? Or they'll say, okay, I want you to practice Gayatri 108 times. And then you come smiling to them and say, yes, Guruji, I'm practicing the Gayatri. Oh, yes, yes, yes. How, how, how much are you doing that? Oh, I'm, I'm practicing it three times a day. 
Oh yeah, three times a day? How much are you doing? Oh, I'm practicing three Gayatri a day. When you've told them to do 108 a day, you know, it's going to take 108 to clean up the house. But, but they're, I've actually, I'm giving you an actually example of what someone said to me one time. Where they're like saying the mantra just three times. I said, well, that's very nice that you're doing it three times. But to overcome the obstacles, you've got to make more of a commitment. I asked to do 108 times. See? You, 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 you can't try to adjust what the teacher says as if you know more. You know? Come on. You have to be real about this. The, the, the teacher knows the science. Not only the teacher knows the science, the teacher has fulfilled the science. See? They're not just academics. They've actually fulfilled the science. That's what makes them a Dharma teacher. See? They've done it. So, anyway. These are the, the realities of, the, of, of what you need to know, what you need to do. You know, the, this is the brass tacks of this life. You know? Because my, my thing is I want everyone to be successful. You know, I, I want everyone to have the same opportunities I've had. And I want everyone to see the things I've seen, see? So that there's no more doubt in their mind, so that they can have that kind of felicity, see? They know there's a God, they know there's angels, they know there's miracles, they know there's the end of this journey of suffering, see? There's an end to it, there's a beyond. So this this is the whole the whole deal. Find really really honest teachers, you know, who are who are in it as a savior to God, you know, not to build palaces or to be famous, all this kind of nonsense, you know, but as a savior to God and Guru. Then then you're in a good place. You you're in the right place then. Any ideas questions? No. Any anything. Uh, no? Or, um, or Victor, anything? Chris, anything today? Matthew? Jamie, Emma? <laughs> anything, my dear? <laughs> or anything from, from Nick Warren? Do you have any statements or uh, understanding to, to share with the group? No, just live it. <laughs> <laughs> He's right, just live it. <laughs> Show up. Okay, then. I guess I'll close. So we'll, again, we'll bring our, our spines. Yeah, always realize, satsang is knowledge, but also it's opportunity. The insight and opportunity. It's another form of study. And definitely an opportunity. So we'll raise our spine up and be erect. And then take a deep breath in.
breath, just gently open the eyes. And I thank you all, one and all, for coming. <laughs> Remember, Om will take you home. <laughs> <laughs>